Hello, and welcome to the 38th edition of the Traveling To Radio Show. I'm your host, Friedel. cycling around the world since 2006, and they're not done yet. Next off, Africa. hiatus, I'm happy to welcome you back to the Traveling to Radio Show. You might have wondered if we were ever coming back, and I can't blame you for thinking that way. I know it's been a very long time since we've done a podcast. It's partly because we haven't had a lot of chance to meet cyclists lately. Well, there have been a few, but they've been in and out so quickly that I haven't had an opportunity to interview them. And also just because we've been very, very busy ourselves. Since we did our last show, we've actually bought a house and moved into it. And I know that might seem a little bit at odds with our plans to do another big tour, but we'll talk a bit more about that later on our rationale for settling down, for the moment at least. And of course, we've also been busy planning our own tours. As you're listening to this, we'll probably be off cycling in Denmark. We're planning two weeks right up to the northernmost tip of Denmark and then back down to the German border. It's not exactly on the same scale as our world tour, but we're looking forward to it nonetheless. The interview we have for you this week is one that I've been hoping to do for a very long time. It's with an Australian Dutch couple, Sonia and Aldrich. They've been on the road since 2006, and Andrew and I have been emailing with them almost since the beginning of their tour. We've emailed so much back and forth that we really feel like we know each other, even though until just a few weeks ago we had never met. Well, they came through Holland to renew their passports and get ready for the next leg of their trip down through Africa. That was in July, and we actually had a chance to sit down and talk all about their trip. And of course, we recorded it so that you could listen in. So here's our interview with Sonia and Ali. Hi, I'm Sonia. Um, I've been cycling around the world now for four years and intend to continue for another two. I come from Australia. I'm married to Aldrich, who's my Dutch husband. I've also been cycling for four years. <laughs> uh, yeah, we started off in Holland in 2006 and so far we've gone, we cycled through Europe and Asia and North, Central and South America. Just having a short stopover in Holland before we start moving again towards Australia. And it's a pretty big trip to undertake. Can you take us back to the day when you had the idea to do this trip and what sparked it? Whose idea was it? Kind of came from both of us, but started eight years before we actually left. Uh, three years before we hopped on the bikes was when we initially thought, OK, we have to make a date. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that everybody has to do. You have to make a date and then you can leave. So it was three years of really hard work and saving and we, then we could afford to do it. And why did you decide to do it? What was the motivation behind it? Because it is a huge decision to set out for five or six years around the world. Well, we really wanted to see what was out there. And because we, we come from different countries... Um, and we lived in several countries, in England, in Australia, and Holland. We just wanted to see where we would want to live next, and that was the main 
force behind it all, just to see where we want to settle down, maybe. Were you cyclists before you started out on the strip, or...? We had done a few cycling trips before, and our first one was in 1994 when we moved from from London to Australia. Sorry, 1996. Sorry, okay, yeah, 1996. And we moved from London to Australia, and we packed all our belongings in a container, and it would take three months to get there. So we decided to cycle from Bangkok to Singapore. And that was our first long, decent trip. And... We, we really, really enjoyed it and we thought this is probably the best way to travel and to see the world. So when you came up with this idea of doing a much bigger trip, there was never any question that you would do it by bicycle, I guess? That was... No, none whatsoever, no. It was, uh, that was, we knew whatever trip we would do, it would be done by bicycle. Yeah. And what is it that you like so much about bicycle touring? Can you encapsulate that in a few sentences for us? Or... I think, and I think most cyclists say this as well, you are there, you smell everything, you feel everything, you're, uh, you're in the nature, you're close to people, you go through small villages, small towns, and I think you see the culture in a completely different way and a more enjoyable way. And it's at your pace. You can stop whenever you want, make a photo whenever you want, um, have lunch whenever you want. You're not dictated by anybody else, so by anybody else's speed. If you don't like it, just get on your bike and move on. Now, you're making it sound very positive there, but I know from personal experience that life isn't always so rosy. <laughs> you must have had, in, in the course of several years of traveling, there must have been some moments when you just thought, why am I on this bicycle? Maybe you could each give us a difficult moment that you've experienced. Well, you always have the every day-to-day things, but you have that in life as well. But I think health is probably one thing. Um, when it goes bad in that direction, it's really, really difficult to cope. And I fell um, ill in India and spent seven weeks in Agra. And it wasn't so much about that I was in India and spending it in Agra, but I didn't know whether I could cycle again. And so that was really difficult. And we could have given up then, but... For some reason or other, I don't know why, but we kind of pushed through and I just kept on going and I eventually got back on my bike again. So, yeah, health is uh, definitely a difficult one in a strange country, a strange place. And what about for you? What do you Mm. find challenging? Well, I think being 24-7 with somebody is uh, pretty challenging. I mean, we had uh, totally separate lives when we lived in Holland. Uh, Sonia was working uh, during the day I was working in the evening so we well we made arrangements to meet each other while we were living in the same house so when we finally uh, left Holland on our bicycles it was like well uh, it was raining a lot and then you sit in your tent with uh, well okay somebody you love but it's uh, it's it, it gives you it doesn't give you any space to breathe sometimes and that makes I think that makes the most difficult part how did you get through that? Because obviously you, you made it through more than just the first few weeks, so you must have found a coping mechanism there. Yeah, it bursts sometimes, I think. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that's everyday life as well. Things are always going to happen that are not so nice. And you just got to think about the end goal or your dream, and we always dreamed about doing this, so it's not something that we're going to give up easily. We're, we're never uh, in a dip together. There's always one is in a dip, whereas the other one is still high on the mountain and is pulling the other one up. So that helps. 
Have you noticed that there are particular things that are quite challenging for you? Is there a certain situation that will set you off, or is it quite random? Yeah, sure. Um, when it's extremely physically demanding, I think those points can become quite stressful and at that time you generally only think about yourself because it's you you have to get to the top of the mountain or you that you have to get to to a point and if the other person says something a little bit yeah, strange or you don't like then you're more likely to have an well, argument. Like, uh, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. So those are the difficult parts of the trip. We've covered those very early on. <laughs> <laughs> Got them out the way quick. Now let's get back to the really nice parts. What are some of the highlights from your world tour? I know it's very hard to condense it down into just a few sentences or experiences, but are there a few things that really stand out? You look back and you say, wow, that was amazing. In general, we love the mountains. I think mountain people are beautiful. They, they have a different attitude towards life. They care about the land quite often. So it's you know, really lovely to be up there. But I think one thing that we've come away with um, about our whole world is 99% um, of the people out there are just absolutely amazingly wonderful, friendly, and will always try and help you out if you ever need uh, a helping hand. It's, yeah, we, we've, met, we've met so many people and we've made so many uh, new friends out there and that is, yeah, that's amazing. Can you tell us one good story about someone who really helped you out? Point? Um, sure, I can. Um, we were in Greece. It's not so much that he helped us out, but it's a gesture along the way. And we were cycling in Sparty going up a mountain and it was a whole day going up and it was hot and, and hard work and... We were going along slowly and this guy came past really fast in his little red Austin and he went on and didn't think anything of it and then I saw him and he came back the other way and he was zooming back down the mountain and then like probably about 15, 20 minutes later he zoomed past me, pulled in, pulled on the handbrake, screeched and I thought, oh no, what's going to happen now, you know, and then he, he jumped out of his car bubbling away in, in Greek, I couldn't understand any of it, with a bag of oranges and he gave them to us. So this man had obviously seen us going up the mountain, thought about turning around, going back to his house and getting some oranges for us. I just thought, wow, that's just such a beautiful gesture. He stopped his whole life just to do something for us. So. And it's interesting, isn't it, on a bike tour, I find that small things like that, which in normal life if someone just stopped and gave you some oranges on the street in your normal, everyday working life, you would think, I don't want these silly oranges. What are you giving those? But when you're a cyclist, it just becomes the most wonderful thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, we had when we left Tabriz in Iran, and we cycled out of the city, and it was a Friday. It was like a, the Iranian weekend. And people were uh, in their cars next to us, and with the window down and they were handing out chocolate and drinks and fruit and everything out of the car window it's like being in a Tour de France and it's just it's amazing I think it's amazing was that your favourite country around? I know you've said to us over the course of the evening talking together that you really want to go back there would you say that's been the highlight of the tour? or um, one of the one of the highlights but I think Colombia is probably the, our most favourite country to cycle in Tell us why. Describe it for someone who hasn't been there yet. Well, it has a lot 
to offer. So you have like beaches, you have uh, uh, the jungle, you have high mountains, volcanoes. Um, the roads are good. The people are friendly. It's a cycle culture, so everybody knows that there are cyclists on the road, so they take care not to hit you. Uh, there, the the infrastructure for cyclists is really good because in every town there is a hotel. Uh, it's really cheap. Uh, people are friendly, and always they always want to talk to you wherever you stop. It's like only just for Colombia you should learn Spanish because people want to talk to you all the time. So that's yeah for cyclists it's a dream. And I'll ask the cliche question here: Aren't you going to get kidnapped, murdered, robbed by the FARC? Um, insert dangerous scary scenario here because Colombia doesn't have a great reputation or hasn't had until very recently well yeah if you look for it you yeah you can but um, you probably have to cycle through a few hundred kilometers of jungle to and know the right people to find the fuck these days so so you never had any scary experiences in that way no, nothing at all no people uh, in the south warned us and said oh yeah it's probably better if you take a bus to the border with Ecuador And so we asked why, and they said, well, kidnappings. And, and then we said, when did it happen? And then they said, well, yeah, seven, eight years ago. That was enough for us to just cycle on. So Colombia was great. What other countries really stand out in your mind as being wonderful places to ride a bike? Well, Iran, like you said before, and, and Pakistan because of the uh, scenery. I mean, we cycled the Karakoram Highway, and it was just breathtaking. I mean, you feel so, so small. There's huge mountains and it's yeah, it's fantastic really, to be there. Is the Karakoram Highway not getting a bit overdone? I hear so much about it that I I haven't been there myself, but I sort of imagine it as this cyclist super highway because I it seems I hear everyone saying I'm going down the Karakoram Highway. Well, yeah, because the wilderness is always trying to take back the road. So uh, I think we met five cyclists while we cycled the Karakoram Highway. That's less than we met while cycling through uh, Central Asia. I think it's still a fantastic route to do. And, yeah, it's not that you see uh, bike shops on every street corner or something. Two of the countries that you've mentioned, Pakistan and Iran, I know a lot of women out there will be thinking, ooh, is that really a safe place for me to go to or how will it be biking there as a woman? Maybe you can comment on that, Sonia? Yeah, of course, they're safe to cycle in. There's not a problem with that. But you do have to look at how um, women live their normal life in Pakistan and Iran. And Pakistan, for example, in some places um, you have to wear a scarf. Every other woman is wearing a scarf. You have to look around you and see what the, the locals are doing and then follow suit and you will never have a problem. Iran, obviously, you have to wear a scarf all the time. You have to cycle in one as well, which can be a bit annoying, but, I mean, stick a helmet on top of it and it's okay. It doesn't come off. Baggy trousers, that sort of thing. But, I mean, I think it's a really small price to pay to come into such an unusual culture and especially with such friendly people. Uh, you don't get to see that or meet people like that anywhere else in the world. So, sure, you just have to live by the rules there. So you never had any problems? with being harassed or any other issues? Um, no, not really. I think um, the further south you go in Pakistan, um, the more problems you might encounter. But in the north, there was absolutely no problems whatsoever. And in fact, I found the women quite, quite liberal there. Do you think if you were a woman cycling solo, that you would still be able to do it? Or would there be cultural issues that would maybe prevent you from doing that? 
No, you could do it, no problems at all. And we actually met quite a few, um, well, not quite a few, but we met a few girls in Pakistan and met a, a girl in, or a lady in Iran. And I've read lots of reports of other women doing those sections of the world as well. And, I mean, you just have to um, be aware of what's going on around you. And if you play the game like they do, then you won't have problems. But if you go in like shorts and, you know kind of show yourself off or make yourself very conspicuous then sure you're going to attract attention what about your daily routine give us an idea of what life is actually like for you on the road on a day-to-day basis so you get up in the morning what time do you get up normally about 6 30 but it depends if it's if we're up high in the mountains where it's cold or not whether we stay in bed for an hour or longer but uh yeah, normally about 6.30, and it takes us about two hours to uh, have breakfast and pack up and get everything on the bikes and get going. So by 8.30, we're on the road, and then we cycle for one and a half, two hours, then we have a little break, and then we cycle for another one and a half hours, then we have lunch, and then uh, in the afternoon, we cycle for shorter stints, maybe an hour, and then have another cookie, and then maybe another hour, but maybe not. It just depends where we're going, of course. But uh, we tend to have shorter uh, sections in the afternoon. And then, yeah, it's, a, it's normally a 9-to-5 job. And then we find a, a place to stay, whether it's uh, Camping Wild or finding a hotel or finding a campsite or hostel. Or, and then uh, we uh, have a nice shower if it's available. We, we cook and do some repairs or read or uh, work on a computer or, or listen to music and then 8.30, 9 o'clock if we're lucky and then we go to bed <laughs> All that cycling wears you out, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah we were exactly the same way <laughs> Not exactly late night party animals on the road yeah, I Like in Brazil it was like uh, it was dark at 5.30 so when we ended up at the campsite and we did all our stuff then uh, we went to bed and then didn't feel like reading. And then they said, like, oh, what time is it? And it's like, oh, 7.30, you know. It's time to go to bed. Time to go to sleep. So. It's one good thing about being a cyclist. You can sleep a lot and you can eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're doing your day-to-day cycling, how much of that do you plan? Do you buy Lonely Planets and read them? Do you research online? How do you handle the actual planning out of your route? Yeah, we, we started off with Lonely Planets, but we've, uh, we don't use them anymore because they're, they're only really handy for big cities, and most of that you can find online. So if we get somewhere, we, we, we plan our trip into a really big city, then we look on the internet, see if there's a hostel, and then we cycle into town, normally with the use of Google Maps or... Uh, we haven't bought a lot of maps lately either, so we just write down which towns we want to go through, and that's it. Sometimes we make make our draw our own map. So. Do you research any things to see along the way, or do you just leave it open to whatever you come across? Yeah, we do. Um, but we're not fussed if we have to miss out on something. I mean, we make the decision as we're going as to how we're feeling, whether we're going to continue on into that big city or we might bypass it but yeah we we do plan um, our, our trip has kind of been planned six months in advance 
But when we get to a new country, then we plan it in a little more detail, and that would be like a week or two weeks. And generally, it's between big city and big city. So we'll plan all that route in between. But we've, we've been known to deviate before, so yeah. I think, I think you have to be open for that because sometimes it's really hard and you just think, no, it's not worthwhile doing that stretch. It's not for us or we don't want to do that anymore. So I think Bolivia was a, a really good example. We got close to doing the southwest section with, with um, the lakes and going through all the sand and having to spend 10 days you know, without any shops and having to find your own water along the way and we went through four days of it and we just decided I don't want to do that I thought it was too much for us so yeah we decided okay we'll plan another route that turned out to be almost as hard but we had made that decision to to do something it's a little different. bit shorter and it was a little bit shorter and do you ever just throw your bike on a train or bus and say okay I'm done with cycling for a week anyway or the next stretch or, well, yeah, or are I... you one of the purists that cycle every single oh, kilometer? no not at all no, <laughs> no. No, we've used uh, trucks and buses and taxis and trains and uh, boats and well, ferries and canoes and whatever. Uh, yeah, in South America we used quite a bit of public transport because of the huge distances and it's, just, it's more of the same. In northern Chile you, you cycle through the desert for, for a week and then if, you're, if your idea is like to cycle uh, through the desert for another month, then, well, you get a bit down, so we thought, like, oh, we'll skip the, the, the month and do it by bus in a day. Yeah, so that's easier. And it's the same in, in Argentina, because um, we weren't really looking forward to a 1,500-kilometer trip through the Pampas, so we just took a bus. And, yeah, and then we got to, uh, well, um, to Buenos Aires, and then the... Yeah, we got to Rio faster, so that was nice. Yeah. And sometimes that's out of necessity as well. We will take a bus or a train because, one, our visa is going to run out or um, something happens to us in Turkey. I broke my ankle and spent three weeks in Istanbul, so our Turkish visa was getting close to its end. We had to be in Iran because we said we were going to be there at that time. And, yeah, I mean, out of necessity we'll do it as well. And I think it's quite good, actually, because you do get to see that other, other mode of transport or travel, and then you think, oh, I really like being on my bicycle. <laughs> but you get to travel a long distance very, very quickly. Yeah. I want to touch briefly on gear as well. Yeah. Now, I know we can't possibly go through all the gear you're probably carrying with you, but give us one thing that you really, really loved and one thing that you just wish you'd never even bought. Aside from your bikes, of course, oh, because yeah. we know I was that your bikes say, are... I love my 15-year-old bike. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both agree that we love our tent because it, it can withstand anything, really. What kind of tent is it? Give us the uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tunnel tent. It's by Hellsport, a small Norwegian company. And, yeah, it's been through hell and back and but it's still working same it, tent for the whole trip yeah well it's seven years old now so and we've camped in it like well alone on this trip i think we've camped about 600 days in it so it's yeah and was it a particularly expensive tent to begin with or um not yeah not then it is now you can you can still buy the same or same type of tent 
Um, back then it was five, six hundred guilders, so about three hundred euros. But now I know they're about six or seven hundred euros. So. But definitely uh, recommend it. Is there one thing that you just think, oh, why did I spend my money on that? I've probably sent it back home, so I can't remember it. Um, yeah, we never really got into the 10-litre water bags. We just buy water bottles everywhere we go. So we sent them back quite a long time ago, and we had these uh, this idea that we were going to be out in backcountry a lot, so we bought a little cap for it with a shower attachment. But we never, ever used it, so that went back home. And I know you have some nice tips on your blog as well. Is there one or two that you could share with us? We have a cotton tea towel, and uh, we use it to, um, when we boil the rice, we parboil it and put it in the tea towel, wrap it up, and then put it aside and make a sauce and everything. And then by the time the sauce is ready, the, the rice is finished as well. So you use less petrol, and yeah, the, the rice is ready. And you can use the tea towel as a little picnic rug or... We, I mean, we use it all the time or to mop up some spill somewhere in the tea. Yeah, you can use it for washing up, yeah. which you don't use very often, eh? <laughs> no, that's your job. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good tip because um, we picked up that tip quite late in our trip, actually. But until then, we always used to curse rice. We could never get it to cook properly. Yeah. If you try and cook it all the way on a camp stove, it's really quite difficult. Yeah, it gets all gluggy and, uh, yeah. 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 So, good tip there. <laughs> well, is there anything that you think that I've missed? Anything you particularly want to mention? Or Yeah, I think that if you're listening to this and you're thinking about going and travelling on a bicycle, it's been a dream of yours that you should just go and do it. Because a lot of people have that ambition. We get told all the time, oh, I'd love to do what you're doing and oh, but I can't or whatever. Well, I think that you should just say, I can and just go and do it. Because it really is, well, for me in any case, it's the best way of travelling. It's the best way to see a country, to come in contact with people. And you, even though you have hard times, the rewards are so much better. And so if you're strong enough and you've got a strong enough mind, um, you can do it. It's, it's not that difficult. The hardest part for us was walking out the front door. Does that tally with your experience? Or? Um, making the decision to do that? Yes. Yeah. But then once you made the decision, then it was not so easy. Oh, but then it was not, but once you made the decision... Cut. <laughs> once you made the decision, it was not that difficult. It was, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Because you have all these possessions and things and you live in a life where it's normal to do that and we don't we are traveling totally different to how and living totally different to how most people live so we're running against the norm and your brain kind of says to you hey is this is what you're doing is that really right or are you scared or i don't know all these things run through your head all the time and then when you finally get on the bike you realize that all that stuff doesn't really matter because you're out there and you're doing the thing that you wanted to do and I think that's the most important thing whether it's travelling on a bike or whatever you have to go and do what you want to do and do it when you can because you never know so I'll leave the last word to you just 
tell us um, briefly where you're going next and give us the address of your website so people can find you if they want to follow you. Okay, well, we're still in Holland, and but after this we go via Belgium and France. Uh, we cross from probably Masaya to Corsica, Sardinia, maybe Sicily to Tunisia, then hopefully through Libya and Egypt into the Middle East. And if Tibet is open, we'll cycle through Iran, Pakistan, into Tibet, to Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, and finish in Australia, hopefully in about one and a half to two years' time. And our fantastic website is www.tour.tk. Great. Thank you both very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Sonia and Ali, for taking the time to talk to us before you headed off on the rest of your bike tour. I encourage everyone listening out there to go and check out their website, tour.tk, and check out the wonderful tips that they have on there. They have a whole selection of handy hints that they've learned along the way through all their bike touring experience. As for us, well, I'm off to pack our panniers for our trip to Denmark. We're going to be taking a night train to the German-Danish border, and then we're off cycling, as I said, for two weeks. I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, when we come back, we'll have lots of posts to tell you all about the things that we learned and the things that we saw along the way, including making pizza. And that's just simply pizza on a camp stove. You don't even need one of those fancy backpacker ovens to do it. We'll reveal that secret and lots more when we come back from Denmark. Until then, happy cycling and tailwinds. Thank you.